This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This episode is brought to you by Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express Card. And we here on Savor are what you might call food explorers. It has been our actual job to go to cool places and eat, like, a lot of the food there. And then talk about it. And then talk about it into these microphones, which is a crazy dream job. Yes. Well, if you're like us and willing to travel to seek out new foods to try, you go with the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card. It's for people like us who are in search of the next food adventure. If you travel, you know. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Hello and welcome to Savor. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we're talking about chewing gum. Mm-hmm. Chewing gum, which I'm technically not supposed to have. Oh, that's right. You've got one of those uh, one of those artificial teeth in there, right? I do, I do. And uh, when I, <laughs> it, it's a whole story, but the, the last thing that these two Russian dentists told me <laughs> before I left their <laughs> office was never again apples, carrots, ice, or chewing gum. Wow. But I do still chew it sometimes, and I, I feel like I'm living on the wild side when I do. It's, <laughs> it's like a risky, ooh. Actually, that has fun historical ties. Does it? Well, I mean, sort of. I mean, like, it's sort of a rebellious... Anyway, we'll oh, get yeah, to it. Oh, yeah, we will get yeah. to that. We will get to that. When I was a kid, I did love those. I don't know if you remember these, but they were um, blow like pops. Blow pops, yeah. They were lollipops, and they had gum in the middle. Yeah. I always thought, like, they were marketed so effectively that I was like, this is going to be great. But I actually <laughs> strongly dislike both hard candy and the flavor of bubble gum. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> so it was never good. It was never a good plan. I don't know. Yeah. I think I liked maybe the grape ones. I don't know. I can't remember. Green apple. That was, yeah. that was my fave. No, totally. Anyway. <laughs> chewing gum. What is it? Is it food? Well, chewing gum is a non-food, partially digestible edible that we consume using our eating parts. 
Hmm. Um, Clear as mud. (laughs) It's a chewy substance, usually flavored and sweetened and sometimes colored, that is intended to be masticated without swallowing and spit out upon end of use. That sounds very appetizing. (laughs) Masticated without swallowing. Yes. I wish that it said that, like, on instructions on gum. Masticate. Do not swallow. Oh, man. I would write the best instructions for all food items ever. All y'all get in touch with me. Yes. This is a service I can provide. I believe um, it. Yes. Oh, well, okay. So, so yes, you, you know what chewing gum is. You chew it. You don't eat it. I mean, part of it is digestible. Part of it is not. Modern chewing gums use an array of compounds to do those flavoring and coloring parts, ranging from naturally derived chemicals to artificially derived chemicals. The sweeteners may or may not be caloric. The chewy ingredient or ingredients may be natural polymers derived from rubbery tree sap, but more commonly these days are synthetic plastics or rubbers. These formulas are proprietary and kept under wraps. Ayy. But formulations of hmm, butadiene, styrene rubber, polyethylene, and polyvinyl acetate pop up a lot. Uh, I I just wrote those, and then I was like, well, I'm not changing it because it's funny. <laughs> and so, yes, if you, you know, are familiar with any of those words, those are petroleum products. Commercial chewing gum is technically a petroleum product. The more you know. Do, 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 do. The reason that chewing gum is a solid before you start chewing it is that your body heat softens it to a temperature at which it's malleable. When you chew it, the polymers link up which creates uh, the stretchiness that you observe if you, say, get a piece half stuck to the bottom of your shoe or if you blow a bubble with it. Get it in your hair. Mm-hmm. What a nightmare. Oh, that happened to me once in middle school. I had to go home and get a whole chunk cut out of my head. It was bad times. Yeah, it happened to me too. And somehow I got it, like, right in my bangs. Oh. It was not good. <laughs> yeah. Someone, like, tossed a piece from a moving car. I was so mad about it. Oh. All the indignance that a seventh grader can muster. Which is a lot. for you, and yes, it is. Thank you. (laughs) If you're wondering how chewing gum is made, well, uh, different gums have different properties, as you've probably noticed. Like, bubble-blowing bubble gum is kind of different from, like, trident gum or something like that. Uh, Manufacturers play with a lot of different components to get it right, for whatever quality right may be. You've got uh, elastomers in there to create stretch, plasticizers to soften the texture, fillers to bulk the gum up without needing to add sugar, and resins to help bind everything together. Whatever the ingredients, the basic process for making a stick of gum goes like this. You create that gum base— and then heat it in drums or kettles built with blades that cut in your sweeteners, flavorings, and softeners. When the stuff, this gum, is uh, smooth and consistent, you roll it out thick onto belts and then cool it down. Then machines knead it for hours, hours at a time, to help link up some of those linky polymers. When it's the right amount of elastic, you slice it into measured chunks, roll it to the correct thickness, dust it with a nonstick powder like powdered sugar or cornstarch, And then that sheet will be stamped into not quite individual pieces. As a sheet, they're sent to dry out a little bit before they are broken off individually and packaged. Now, if you're making coated gums, like gumballs or chiclets, you use two parallel dies pressing together through a column of gum to stamp out the shapes, and then let those individual pieces dry out and roll them through a tumbler or kettle to coat them. They might be given a shiny wax coating. There you go. There you go. 
Let's let's talk some numbers. In 2019, the chewing gum market is expected to generate 32.63 billion dollars, and 3.95 billion of that is from the U.S., which is the third largest market. The largest market is the Asia Pacific region, followed by Western Europe. Only three percent of gum sales are gumballs. Hmm. But the most popular flavor, not of gumballs, of gum in general, is mint. Ah, alas. My mint problem. That's a double whammy. Oh, <laughs> Can't have yeah. mint, can't have gum. <laughs> uh, but I did used to participate. I was big into these food challenges when I was a kid. All right, sure. And there were these gum ones that we would do. And one was, if you chew enough mint, like spearmint gum, it starts to burn. And we would see how many pieces <laughs> you could get before the pain oh, became too intense. Goodness. And I was the... The reigning you were the hardest. champ. Yeah. Wow. I'm not sure if that deserves a congratulations or not, but probably not. <laughs> but when you're a kid, it does. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's major props. I was king of the lunchroom. Did, did, you, ever, did you ever blow bubbles? Yeah. I was a big bubble blower. Um, I would chew like those entire packs of Bubblicious. <laughs> uh, the, uh, the, there's a record diameter for bubble blowing without use of one's hands. I love oh, that it specifies. Yeah. Um, this was set in 2004, and it went to one Chad Fell of the United States. I'd also like to nominate Chad Fell for best name. That's a pretty good name. Yeah. Anything <laughs> that's a verb, like, okay. No, but the, the bubble that he blew was 20 inches, a.k.a. 50.8 centimeters in diameter. And to do it, he used three pieces of double bubble. Three pieces? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's impressive. If you are looking to blow a really good bubble, science says that you need to chew that gum until you have exhausted the sugar and probably the flavoring from it because those molecules can can get in the way of the of the linky, stretchy properties of the gum base, causing bubbles to collapse before they reach their uh, full bubble potential. Oh, you don't want that. No, no. No. <laughs> we could be speaking to the next bubble <laughs> record holder. Oh, man. If you dethrone Chad Fell, Chad will have fallen. And the prophecy will come true. Please let us know if that happens. Absolutely. <laughs> like if you're giving a big speech at the end, <laughs> I'd like to thank Saver for making me think I could do it and giving me all the science I needed to succeed. <laughs> Which kind of, kind of brings me to a question I had when we were doing this research is why do people chew gum? To break records? I thought probably, like, bad breath, um, stress, boredom, and to fight off hunger is something I've seen, and also more grimly as a way to trick ourselves that we're eating, which is a problem when you're talking about eating disorders. And there is a study that shows that maybe it improves memory. Make little, uh, oh, memory is a tricky one, but we have a bunch about that. We'll get to it uh, towards the tail end of this episode. I try to chew gum after meals because it makes me feel better about, like, my breath and possible bacteria buildup, so. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like cleaner? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Instead of brushing my teeth like a grown adult human person. <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, not everyone around the world are fans of gum. Uh, it's, I, I was telling Lauren before we started recording this, I had so much fun <laughs> doing the research for this, and it was definitely the topic that when I got drunk at Thanksgiving, I was telling everyone <laughs> all of these gum facts. And it's really interesting because you don't really eat it, and it's not water-soluble. Uh, right, the gum base. The, the flavorings and other stuff are, but 
Yeah. The gum is not. No. It's, it's not even biodegradable. No, which means, much to the frustration of schools everywhere, hardened gum that they stick under desk and all, <laughs> and it's really difficult to remove. Like really difficult. Like a steam jet and scraper <laughs> difficult. If you've ever stepped in gum or gotten it in your hair, then you know this. And one of London's busiest streets had a quarter of a million blobs of hardened gum on its asphalt in 2000. And in Rome, somewhere around 15,000 pieces of gum a day are irresponsibly disposed of in public spaces. And removing each piece costs the city about one euro. What? Yeah, it costs city councils around the globe a million dollars or more to clean up gum, up to 3.5 billion wads of gum. What? Yeah, and because of this, that's why Singapore banned chewing gum in 1992. There are some exceptions now, but largely it's still not allowed. Behind cigarettes, chewing gum is the second most common type of litter, and some people are looking for ways to recycle chewing gum waste into plastic, like gum tech. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Cities get serious about this. There was a gum summit for action in Liverpool (laughs) and a postcard that the involved city signed that they sent to Wrigley's headquarters with the message, wish you weren't here, all caps. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) It's one of those things where I see gum all the time and I just never thought about the scourge that it is. Oh, I'm so annoyed every time I see a piece of gum Mm -hmm. litter somewhere. Mm -hmm. I'm like, What human has done this and why? (laughs) Well, you've got the gum in your hair. Yeah. You have like an origin story for your your gum villain. I do. Um, There is an artist in London that paints hardened gum. and He's been arrested by police for this. I think that that's adding. That's value. Value. Mm -hmm. I mean, if it's going to be there, it might as well be artistic. It might as well be. And there's also a theory um, that was too dense for me to look into, Hmm. but there is a theory that you can, like, kind of guess. You could map out streets based on where gum is. Like, where more gum is, it could give you an idea of what used to be there or what that place is. Like, a lot of bars have a lot of gum out front (laughs) because junk people are like, "Ah, I got to get my beer. I don't want the (laughs) gum to mess with the flavor. Anyway, this is what my family got to enjoy during Thanksgiving. <laughs> um, I do love that gum has this this vibe to it, like a, a devil may care or a rudeness or, or boredom. Um, and one example I thought of is um, to appear American in the 1998 Godzilla movie with a soundtrack by one P. Diddy. <laughs> uh, these French dudes chew gum to convince they're trying to sneak onto an American army base. And they chew gum to pretend that they're American. And it totally works. The guards are like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you totally look American. I mean, it's a movie, but, but sure. still, that it's vibe still, exists. It's a cultural standpoint. Yeah. The perception exists. The Godzilla 1998 cultural standpoint. One of the most important. I have watched that movie not once but twice this year, and I don't know. I've never watched it. You're probably better off. Yeah. I enjoyed it, though. When I was young, I had a crush on Matthew Broderick, so <laughs> that that didn't hurt. But uh, I did like it a lot for a while. Hank Azaria's in it. I was going to say, isn't someone that I like? Yeah, it was Hank Azaria. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hank mm-hmm. Azaria's great. Yeah. Well, 
Maybe we'll add it to our ever-growing list <laughs> oh, yeah. of movies to watch. Oh, we really need to work on those. But what we also need to work on is getting into the history. But first, we're going to get into a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This episode is brought to you by Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express Card. And we are what you might call food explorers. We are so lucky that a part of our job involves traveling and trying a lot of the food where we go to travel and then coming back here and telling all of you good listeners about it. And through that, we have discovered some amazing dishes. Sure, yes. Like, I had never understood what poke really could be, and it is delightful. It is stunningly good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which we had a lot of on our trip to Hawaii. Uh, another thing from their passion fruit I now look for in literally every menu that I read. I'm like, yep, that one has passion fruit. Going for it. And then all of the moles, and especially the green mole that you heard us talk about recently that we had from in Las Vegas. In Vegas, yeah. Oh, or just steak basements. Who doesn't love a steak basement? Exactly. <laughs> well, um, if you are like us and you're willing to travel to seek out new foods to try, you go with the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card. It's for people who, like us, are in search of the next food adventure. If you travel, you know. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex National Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. All right. So humans have been chewing on gum in some form or another for eh, 9,000 years. Maybe. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Some sources suggest that that's about how long ago Northern Europeans were chewing on birch black tar, possibly for pleasure, possibly medicinally as a treatment for tooth pains, possibly for both. Hard to say. It was a long time ago. Mm -hmm. Our old pal Pliny the Elder described mastic, a.k.a. masticated, uh, a plant-based substance that the ancient Greeks chewed on. 
And then if we jump ahead to the year 200 CE and the ancient Mayan people, they chewed on chicle derived from sapodilla trees to combat thirst and or hunger. Uh, yeah, sapodilla trees, the botanical name Manilcara zapota, are native to Central America. They're a tall evergreen tree that bear fruit that look a little bit like a, like a brown plum, which I've read tastes like pears. And the sap that the trees use to convey nutrients and provide immune defense within their bark is this white gummy stuff called chicle. And the ancient Mayans weren't the only ones who were hip to this either. The Aztecs chewed on chicle too, enough so that there were rules about the proper time and place to do so. Single women and kids were permitted to chew chicle in public, but all other parties had to keep their chicle chewing private, (laughs) typically for teeth cleaning and breath freshening. Women who chewed gum in public were viewed as harlots. What? Yeah, while men who chewed gum in public were seen as effeminates. Wow. Yeah. That's quite an association. It really is. It really is. If we move forward through time and further north, the Native Americans chewed on a spruce tree resin, and when the European colonists arrived, they adopted that habit too. In the 1840s, we get the first commercial spruce tree gum thanks to John Curtis, who had the idea to boil the resin first, cut the result into strips, and coat these strips in cornstarch to keep them from sticking together. That sounds pretty chewing gummy to me. Mm -hmm. It seems Curtis had decided to forge ahead on this chewing gum path because in the 1850s, he set up shop in Portland, Maine with the world's first chewing gum factory. But alas! Spruce resin gum doesn't taste great eh, and quickly goes brittle. So his chewing gum venture and the chewing gum ventures of those that followed closely after him did not pan out. So he pivoted to paraffin wax. Uh, Wax being another popular throughout the ages, stuff like beeswax has been used as a type of chewing product. A type of chewing product. (laughs) I like it. Mm -hmm. Which brings us to Thomas Adams. Adams was an inventor out of New York who, through some unknown circumstances, met up with exiled Mexican president Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana, and yes, that is the one from the Alamo, who introduced Adams to chicle. But Santa Ana wasn't interested in pioneering a commercial chewing gum. He wanted to use the chicle as a rubber substitute. He thought that the money he got from such a product would allow him to retake power in Mexico. After some failed experiments, Santa Ana walked away from the project, though he did eventually regain power in Mexico. But Adams thought, hey, you know, this chicle thing might not be a good substitute for rubber, but I wonder if it could lead to a better chewing gum. I like how he's kind of British in whatever recollection you're doing here. That's okay. <laughs> he, he got more British as he, <laughs> as he thought about it. <laughs> he was sort of transatlantic. That's okay. Yeah. History's a little murky on the dates here, but the by the 1880s, Adams figured out that boiling and hand-rolling produced a successful chewing gum and started his own company to sell his product nationwide. His company produced up to five tons a day Ooh. at its peak. And the main ingredient in this gum was chicle, and it would remain the main ingredient until the mid-1900s when synthetic ingredients became more widely available. Or were created in the first place. Yes. Work in plastics. (laughs) That also helped. (laughs) Uh, And then we got to talk about a big name in the gum world, William Wrigley Jr. That Wrigley? Yes, that Wrigley. (laughs) 
Wrigley got his start selling soap in his hometown of Philadelphia. Soap. Soap. Also, he was expelled from school when he was 11 for throwing a pie at a nameplate. <laughs> I just wanted to include that. <laughs> but anyway, in 1891, he made the move to Chicago. And as a way to persuade stores to stock his wares, he would offer a bonus item like baking powder for each order made. And it turns out folks were like, forget the soap, give him more of that baking powder. <laughs> Priorities, right? Yeah. So he started selling the baking powder instead. And for the free incentive taking baking powder's place, he offered chewing gum. And possibly baking powder was never involved in any of this soap. Straight to chewing gum? Yes. Hmm. Chewing gum was the incentive with the soap. But I like I like to hope that baking powder was involved. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. And apparently... This gum, this incentive of gum, was a pretty big hit, too. In 1893, he introduced two new flavors, Juicy Fruit and Wrigley's Spearmint. By this time, there was a lot of chewing gum competition in the market, and Wrigley decided to spend a lot of money on marketing to differentiate himself from the pack. Ah. Yeah, I can do it, too, Lauren. <laughs> This included promotions like sending free gum to millions of Americans in 1915 or a free pack of gum to children on their second birthday. Second birthday? I know. Do babies chew gum? I thought that was frowned upon. Maybe the idea was they send it to the two-year-old, but the parents? I'm wearing my disapproval face. Um, she is. Anyway. Um, he, Wrigley touted its dubious medicinal properties, too, and he attached it to sex and celebrity. Hmm. And these ad campaigns were very successful, and the success of them and of the gum made Wrigley super rich. When he died in 1932, he was one of the wealthiest people in the United States. These are gum facts that I had no clue about. Oh, me either. Fascinating. Wrigley gum was included in the rations of American soldiers during World War I and II, as it was believed chewing gum staved off hunger, thirst, and stress. And for a minute, let's go back to that example from Godzilla, the 1998 <laughs> movie starring Matthew Broderick. Um, gum was one of the things people who were having contact with Americans for the first time associated with America, too. Like, this is the first time they might be seeing an American. Oh, wow. And they were chewing gum, and they made that connection in their brains. Huh. And also, the association with sex did start, and well, it started kind of earlier, but it was really reinforced during this time, I guess, because... Soldiers like sex and they like gum. Yeah. Therefore... And so therefore, that's what Americans like. So therefore, yeah, stereotypes. Huh. Therefore, stereotypes, yep. Okay, so let's talk about Frank Fleer, who went a different route to stand out in a crowded field of gum competitors. Fleer's Chewing Gum Company had been up and running since 1885, but Fleer was on the hunt for something new. He wanted to blow up in the <laughs> gum world. And yes, we're talking about bubble gum. I'm sorry. Uh, for years, he experimented looking for a gum that could be blown up bubble-like. His experiments yielded Liber Blubber. What a fantastic name. In 1906, but he wasn't quite there yet. Liber Blubber was too Sticky. I was wondering why I had never heard of this amazing. I mean, that's Liver blubber. It's too good a name to anyway. It's that's, fine. That's very Willy Wonka. -esque. It is. <laughs> One of Fleer's employees, Walter Dimer, arrived at the first successful commercial bubblegum in 1928. They called it 
Double Bubble. There is a pun there with Mellow Yellow, that song. Yeah. Anyway. We'll um, work on it. (laughs) Yeah, we will. (laughs) That's going to be our first priority after we're done recording (laughs) this episode. If we step back a bit, in 1899, New York pharmacist Franklin Canning came out with a chewing gum focused on dental hygiene. Dentine. Chiclets, which is a candy-coated gum, debuted a year later. Adam's company that we were talking about earlier would purchase chiclets very soon after their release. And if we're talking about candy-coated gum, the origin story of gumballs remains a mystery. But a popular legend is that a grocer out of New York, frustrated with low chewing gum sales, wadded up the gum and rolled it in sugar and, yeah, gumball. Hmm. Yeah, I guess so. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. The average American chewed 105 sticks of gum a year in the 1920s. Uh, That's a lot, and it meant a lot of demand for chicle. And this meant that the Latin American communities that provided the chicle were at the mercy of market fluctuations. It impacted their entire economies. This led to what some historians call the second collapse of the Mayan civilization, a collapse that continues to reverberate in that region. By the 1930s, a quarter of Mexico's sopadilla trees had been wiped out, and scientists were making grim predictions that the tree would be gone entirely within four decades. So, gum manufacturers searched for a replacement for chicle, and they found it in cheaper synthetic things like wax and petroleum. The U.S. stopped importing chicle from Mexico entirely by the 1980s. And in the more recent years, there has been a push to bring back chicle. For example, a company boasting the world's first biodegradable gum, Chixa, launched in 2009, or Glee Gum out of Rhode Island. Wrigley's, in a weird full-circle kind of way, is trying to come up with a biodegradable gum as well. So, I guess <laughs> keep an eye out for that. I, uh, I, liked, I liked what I saw from these places. I can't really chew gum. Oh, but yeah, they're worth checking out for sure. It is, it is, and it's it's nice that that kind of research is being done. And that's not actually the only research being done in the technology of gum world. No, not the, at all. Gum materials technology spreads far and wide, and we'll get into that as soon as we take one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This episode is brought to you by Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express Card. And we are what you might call food explorers. We are so lucky that a part of our job involves traveling and trying a lot of the food where we go to travel and then coming back here and telling all of you good listeners about it. And through that, we have discovered some amazing dishes. Sure, yes. Like, I had never understood what poke really could be, and it is delightful. It is stunningly good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
which we had a lot of on our trip to Hawaii. Uh, another thing from their passion fruit, I now look for in literally every menu that I read. I'm like, yep, that one has passion fruit. Going for it. And then all of the moles, and especially the green mole that you heard us talk about recently that we had from in Las Vegas. In Vegas, yeah. Oh, or just steak basements. Who doesn't love a steak basement? Exactly. <laughs> Well, um, if you are like us and you're willing to travel to seek out new foods to try, you go with the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card. It's for people who, like us, are in search of the next food adventure. If you travel, you know. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And this brings us to a section I like to call Big Gum Questions, where I just wrote out a bunch of questions. And asked Lauren to answer them. <laughs> I I found answers to most. Okay. I have a lot of gum questions. You did. The, the, it was a lengthy list. Um, but okay, okay. Gum materials research. Uh-huh. So about the sticky problem of gum sticking to everything that it touches, researchers are working on it along the lines of that biodegradable gum that Wrigley is looking into. Another way to go about the problem is to Look at why gum sticks to things in the first place. There's a team that's trying to incorporate a polymer that has a hydrophilic end into gum. That is a water-loving end into gum. That end of this polymer links up with water molecules like in your saliva. Thus, as you chew this gum, those polymers migrate to the surface, sticky side in, sticking to all of the stickier polymers, and water side out, forming a thin layer of water molecules on the outside of your wad of gum. If you should spit this gum out on the concrete, you monster, it could easily be picked up because of that watery coating. However, if you have too much of that polymer in there, the gum will be too soft to chew or it will fall apart in your mouth. If you have too little, it'll still stick to surfaces, so researchers are still working on it. Yes, um, and that company I mentioned at the top, Gum Tech, I think, uh, they... It's really cool. They the they have these like collection bins for gum, and they look like the the double bubble, the pinkalicious, <laughs> the bubblelicious. Oh, uh-huh. those containers, and you oh. put your gum in there, and you can buy shoes that were made in part <laughs> out of recycled gum. That's so great. Yeah, yeah. So lots of research being done about that. The next question. Okay, if you swallow chewing gum, does it stay in your stomach for seven years? No. Oh. Definitely not. <laughs> Good. When I was a kid, I, I remember that <laughs> dread, that moment of, <gasps> oh, no. Especially if you're like six. That's a very concerning thought. Mm-hmm. It's longer than you've been alive. That's right. 
just going to have to wait it out. It's like a little buddy in my stomach. <laughs> no, no, no. Your, your, your digestive system is much more effective than that. Um, <laughs> okay, so the, the flavorings, sweeteners, and softeners in gum are all easily digested by your body. So those certainly aren't going to stick around for any amount of time, really. And Although it is true that the chewy part of gum cannot be broken down by your stomach or even by the microbes in your guts, it's not so sticky that it's going to, like, get stuck in there. You're, you're just going to poop it out. Hmm. Well, there you go. Yep. <laughs> Never fear <laughs> to all those people. <laughs> oh, no, thinking about that gum you swallowed six and a half years ago. <laughs> there, okay, there are case reports of swallowed gum causing problems getting stuck in people's guts. Mostly, though, in children under the age of five who were given gum as a reward for various behaviors and who swallowed several pieces of gum every day for a lengthy period of time. Do not swallow several pieces of gum every day, especially if you are under the age of five. Saver advice of the episode. Saver advice. <laughs> Saver advice of the episode. Yeah. Okay. Here's another question. It's important, very important to me because I've had many dates ruined by this. Does chewing gum help your breath? A little. Uh, saliva production does prevent bacterial growth, and the act of chewing might help break up some of the loose plaque on your teeth. And all those bacteria that are forming that plaque and that are floating around in there are the things that poop the bad scents that make your breath smell. Okay, okay. It can also help neutralize any, any sense of, of food that are lingering in your mouth or anything that's coming up from your stomach. Mm. Bodies are so gross. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not. It's. I'm just. Just the facts, ma'am. I <laughs> just the facts. <laughs> All right. Well, how long lasting is the flavor? Oh, that's a that that is a question that varies from gum to gum. Uh huh. Vastly, as I'm sure most of you have noticed, but. All right. The the reason that gums lose their flavor over time, if you've if you've never really put your brain to it before, is that there is a limited amount of a flavor and sweetener incorporated into the gum base. Because if you added too much, you it, it wouldn't be chewy. It would be dissolvy, and that's not what you're looking for in your gum product. As we talked about in our Willy Wonka episode, though, folks are working on super long lasting and even flavor changing gums using micro encapsulation technology, stuff that breaks down slowly, releasing or reacting to create more flavor compounds. Gum science. Oh. Yeah, I actually, the reason I asked that question was because apparently that is what most people who chew gum are concerned with, is how long will the flavor last? And that's what a lot of the gum companies were talking about. They're trying to improve how long their flavor lasts. And then when I thought about it, I realize that most gums do say like long lasting oh yeah on the front yeah it's a major marketing point it is indeed what about this one does gum really fight off hunger i've heard that it possibly just makes you hungrier okay if you are a human who snacks when they're bored instead of when they're hungry which i'm super guilty of swapping out a snack especially something sugary like a cookie or a candy bar with a piece of low calorie gum can help you not eat as much. Uh-huh. I'm not going to say it's going to make you less hungry. Okay. I mean, if you're hungry and you're chewing gum instead of eating, that's not, that's clearly not going to do anything. But yeah, like if you're, if you're eating just out of boredom, like you want to chew something and then you chew gum, 
you're only getting maybe like 5 to 10 calories instead of maybe like 100. Uh, it's a small difference, but if you are looking to help control your body weight, then that can be a factor. Mm-hmm. It's it's more like a single piece in a tool belt okay. than an actual weight loss plan, though. Because, I mean, you know, A, you shouldn't eat too many things with artificial sweeteners in large amounts that can have a laxative effect or cause other gastric distress. And chewing gum can lead to swallowing air, which will make you feel bloated, which isn't going to help the situation particularly. And going back to the hunger thing, effects can definitely vary when you're trying to use artificially sweetened products in order to stave off hunger because basically your your body doesn't appreciate being tricked. (laughs) What? (laughs) The sweet flavor of artificially sweetened products can make your body gear up for digestion. And then when you don't give it anything to digest, it signals you to eat more later. Mm, mm Mm-hmm. So I guess if you like chewing gum and maybe you just want to chew something. Yeah. Well, okay. And and here's an interesting part that ties into this. Chewing gum has been shown to improve your alertness, attention, and mood. Hi. Researchers are not sure what's going on here. All kinds of things have been suggested, from sugared or flavored gum giving you a pleasure or reward boost to the act of chewing sort of priming your body for further action. The most, the most compelling hypothesis I've seen is that chewing a positively flavored gum, which is <laughs> the most scientific thing I've ever read in my life, um, the act of chewing that gum excites you, causing a release of the stress chemical cortisol. Remember that excitement isn't necessarily a positive thing. It's just a, woo, uh-huh. oh, hey, gum stuff is happening. <laughs> um, it triggers the release of cortisol, which your body reacts to by boosting your, your immediate access to, to glucose, to energy, to help you deal with whatever it is that's stressing you out. So em- embarking on this minorly <laughs> exciting thing of, of chewing gum, uh-huh. you're doing some action, you're getting a little bit of cortisol, you're getting a little bit of glucose release. It can help people concentrate. Well. And react faster than they would under normal circumstances. And maybe that distracts you from hunger. <laughs> I have to say, for me, chewing gum is majorly exciting. <laughs> and I I am convinced one day I will be at a fancy function and I'm going to be all devil may care, <laughs> chew this gum, and my tooth is going to come right out. And that's it. I won't recover from that. <laughs> my social status will be forever, <laughs> forever ruined. And we all know that my social status is... <laughs> Right up there right now. I'm sure I'm sure everyone at the party would understand. It would honestly be like a fun party trick as long as you didn't <laughs> like hurt yourself with the tooth. So I meant to do it. That's always the way. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like like Chuck. Like Chuck uh, over on Stuff You Should yes, Know has yes. the fun tooth party trick. He does. Mine isn't as cool as that. My my fake tooth is not as cool as his <laughs> fake tooth. <laughs> That's a conversation to be at off mic. But here's another question I had about gum. What fruit is the flavor and juicy fruit? And for that matter, what the hell is Tutti Fruity? <laughs> okay. The the fruit and juicy fruit, I don't think it was ever meant to be a particular fruit. Oh, no. A rapper from 1946, and to be fair, it had been around a long time before that, but a rapper from 1946, uh, a gum rapper, not like a hip-hop performer. Yeah, okay. Called it a fascinating artificial flavor. Hmm. I would agree. And 
tutti frutti, as far as I can tell, is like an <laughs> the, the term itself is an English bastardization of the Italian tutta la frutta, meaning all the fruits. And I think it started popping up in Britain as tutti e frutti in the 1830s as a candy flavor or an ice cream flavor. It was the very first gum to be sold in vending machines in, I think, 1888 in New York City. Both Tutti Frutti and Juicy Fruit do contain flavoring agents that include, oh, what's that OG banana? Um, the original Smichael. Yeah, that, that OG banana and also apple or pear kind of vibes. I think Juicy Fruit also has a citrus element. Hmm. A fruit salad kind of thing. An ambrosia. Yes. Ooh. Oh, Juicy Fruit was my go-to gum for a while, and then Big Red took it over. And then probably, like, mint. I never got into cinnamon gum. I was always like, ow, ow. See? It hurts. I liked the burn. <laughs> I liked the burn. And my final question, do you really get double the pleasure from double mint gum? <laughs> that is a subjective question that science cannot answer. <laughs> Alas. Alas, not today. Well, thank you very much for indulging all of my big gum questions. Yeah, yeah. Anytime. <laughs> Fascinating stuff. Fascinating. And it brings us to listener, listener mail. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Alyssa wrote, I am a Connecticut resident who recently listened to your episode on nutmeg. I was hoping you would shout out the nutmeg state and was happy to even have some loose ends tied up with how Connecticut got its name. Funny story, when I was in third grade, we did a history unit and learned about how people used to sell wooden nutmegs in place of the real stuff. Only being eight years old and having no context of what nutmeg was or how it might be sold when the name was established, I had only seen nutmeg sold in the grocery store in little plastic spice jars. I was always confused as to why the people didn't just open up the jar and smell that it was sawdust. I never really looked into it as an adult, and listening to this episode was interesting and helped me make sense of this childhood mystery. I would have thought the same thing. I think my parents did have whole nutmegs that we would use on, oh. egg, uh, on eggnog and stuff like that. So, oh. yeah, from a very young age. Nice. But I grew up with a chef, so, mm. you know, stuff and things. I'm not sure I even knew what a nutmeg looked like until this very year. <laughs> When we went. When we, uh. Yeah, we got a drink with fresh nutmeg on top. And I was like, oh. Oh, heck. That's what it is. <laughs> oh, they're lovely. It's completely worthwhile to, to grate fresh nutmeg. Um, if you have such things available to you. Yeah. Go do it. Mm-hmm. Kieran wrote, one, about the brunch episode. I was visiting my cousin in New York City for his placement. He decided to go for a brunch spot that's pretty good. Little did we know that it was a drag brunch. The moment I saw those pink balloons and the mood lighting, I knew something was up. I was blown away and loved it. If you do have the chance, check if there is a drag brunch near you. Side note, also 100% recommend yes. this sort of thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love drag show. Two, about peanut butter. Annie, have you heard of the beaver tail? It's a delicacy in Canada where a flattened roll of deep-fried dough is slathered with peanut butter and Reese's Pieces. You can add other toppings, including cookies and cream, the original cinnamon sugar, and an apple pie variety. They're absolutely gorgeous. I just want to say I'm leaving for Canada <laughs> right after this. I will try to be back in office tomorrow, but ooh, ooh. it'll be tight. Well, <laughs> Get off the plane. One beaver tail, please. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> on the plane. I wish you luck on your journey. Thank you. Oh, that sounds amazing. Yeah. 
it sounds like you're mostly in Canada for, like, transit purposes. It's Maybe true. We clearly need to go. Oh, <laughs> no need to twist my arm. <laughs> I am ready. So much good food. Any day now, I'm I'm up for it. Okay, let's maybe wait. I don't like a couple days. I need to do laundry. Mm, okay, 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 okay. All right, tonight, tonight, <laughs> tonight. We'll go. Be on a plane <laughs> in mere hours. We've got to go to the airport. But in the meantime, thanks to both of them for writing to us. You too can write to us. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at saverpod. We do hope to hear from you. Thank you, as always, to our amazing super producer, Dylan Fagan. Who sometimes grows shorter before our very eyes. <laughs> look behind the curtains, y'all. Every time I say thank you to Dylan Fagan, I look at him outside of the window, and he does something spectacular. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I try to describe it to you. Anyway, thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter.